and ride with me in my foul life. I think a lot of the things with outfitting, I think clients want to see personality and and fun and not just the day-to-day grind of scouting and then killing them, right? Right. I find that, that we're more, I find that we're more, um, let me think of the word, our success, we're more successful when we go to outfits like this, when the, the owner outfitter has a personality, can talk, can rap, you know, with the, the clients and sit there and, you know, and then when you got your buddies around, you know, like you guys do this thing with Beatty online about... Yeah. The, what is it, Captain Spoonbill? What's yeah. his name? Spoonbillson. Spoonbillson. Yeah. And then and then Brad is the great white northerner. <laughs> yeah. Or Tommy wears the Russian hat. Um, I think people take a liking to that, and they want to hunt with people in outfits and outfitters that they can relate to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that kind of like what you're doing? Yeah, because, you know, I, I have my experience at one time when I told you I went to New Mexico with that outfitter when I was elk hunting, and, uh, you know, I drove all the way there and it was, you know, all the way down below Albuquerque. And, uh, you know, the guy shows up, we're all sitting there at the dinner table and he shows up, looks at his laptop, doesn't say two words to all of his client, eats his dinner and then shuts his laptop down and goes into his bedroom. Didn't shake your hand, say welcome, nothing. Nothing. And it was, and I just sat there and I thought to myself and I'm like, you know, this happens more often than not on a lot of these places you go to. And seems like the big game hunters tend to be more like that, um, you know, but, you know, I, I guess just us out here, I mean, if you're not going to, if you're not into getting picked on or um, having, you know, jabs thrown at you daily, uh, we're the wrong group to hang out with because we're just a unique set of friends and all the, the guides are the same way. Um, everybody's, you know, has fun with what we're doing daily. And, uh, I think that I've always said the last thing an outfitter ever wants to do is co-mingle or mix. Cause a lot of States you can kill deer at the same time you're killing ducks or geese. The last thing you want to do is mix a group of deer hunters with a group of duck hunters in the lodge. Duck hunters are going to stay up until midnight playing cards and drinking wine. Deer hunters are putting their freaking clothing in these weird oxygenated bags and they're, you know, and they're checking their urine levels on their, in their backpack. And they're, they're, they're just different. They're quieter. And I'm not saying that they don't have fun and I'm not saying that they don't let loose cause you're a deer hunter too. And when you go to camp, I'm sure you let loose, but I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like when I, am around outfitters i want somebody that's relative and i want somebody that's present like you don't just oh they're here they're going to take care of it like when we're trying to showcase an outfitter you want them to be on film you want them to be on the podcast people want to get to know who they're spending their money with there's a lot of options out there you know but i don't know if there's a lot of options out there that have what we saw today and i think that that's the big difference in what you have going on is that that kind of i guess it's a speckle belly hunt mixed in with some powerful snow grinds that's really seen in maybe a couple states this time of year maybe arkansas you know next month they'll start seeing that in arkansas in the spring season but um that's just powerful to be able to kill 10 specks per man i mean we kill 105 geese today yeah in january that's like numbers of a spring season with no limit 
So to be able to say, I could go to California and hunt with guys that I know they're funny. They got personalities. They, they're not afraid to rib you. And then on top of that, you get to experience a hunt like that. Like that's not, I don't think that that's everyday outfitting in the country. There's a lot of places where you go and you kill your three candidates and you're done. You might get to go on an afternoon mallard hunt and might have an opportunity to kill some mallards. But with, with the way mallard hunting is now in a lot of places, Rocky, what I've seen, and I'm talking Nebraska, Kansas, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, I could keep going, Montana. Man, if the weather conditions aren't perfect, those mallards will literally come out five, ten minutes before shooting hours are up. If you're going on an afternoon hunt, they'll sit all day. Right. mallards are so resilient they'll they sometimes they won't even go feed so you get all your hopes up because you see this big grind you know when you're out scouting and then you go back to the next day it could be a two to three degree difference in the temperature and they will literally not come out until i mean you'll be calling a flock and, the, and your time will go off mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so yeah. a lot of a lot of outfits i don't think you the i mean i i'm sure you know what you have but i think more people need to look into coming to california to hunt don't you like it's nuts that you would go anywhere else i mean arkansas is arkansas and you're always going to have people flooding into the flooded timber right they're going to land in little rock or they're going to take their private jet into uh, into stuttgart but man you kill four mallards in the trees you're done and in most of those outfitters down there you're done for the whole day you might get an afternoon spec hunt but the limit on specs too might be three now but again you know what i'm saying after you kill your four mallards in the tree you might get a shot at a wood duck you got to have you got to have something else to do during the day. A lot of people go to Max and visit Max Prairie Wings. So I don't I think that people need to look into the power of you know, I don't know if California is becoming a goose state, but I think your outfitting service is 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 tops with the geese. I mean, you guys kill the heck out of the ducks too, right? Yeah. Yeah, we you know, that was the thing we started this year, you know, when you were here on the opener um opening weekend and you know, that Monday after you left I mean, we've, we've been running ever since then, you know, we, we had our slowdown here just about 14 days ago, 16 days ago, something like that when those heavy rains came in. But up until that point, I mean, we, our, our bird averages were some of the highest they've ever been. Um, and this is definitely one of those years that, um, you know, kind of took me back to like 20 years ago. The numbers we were shooting, um, but it wasn't geese because we didn't have this limit back then. But just the constant days of limits, in and day in, day out. Um, but you know, it was we manage the resource too. I mean, it, it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, there was a lot of management that went in. There's a lot of teamwork that goes into it. It's um, you know, we've learned a lot over the years on uh, how to hunt these things. And uh, what we need to do from start to finish, you know, the, the, you know, dry fields to flooded fields, um, slow flood up, uh, fast flood up, um, pull water off, hold, you know, don't flood till January. You know, there's, so there's different things that we've done that um, have allowed us to have this consistent season that we enjoyed this year. Um, you know, coupled that we we were in a drought and. I banked water early on, um, and that helped. Um, but at the end of the day, um, the guides, they're, they're top-notch callers. Um, they've, they've learned a lot the last five years. Um, you know, 
there, there, you know, there's no more toxicity in my business. You know, the, the, all the personalities, um, like you were saying, they're all, you know, they're all five-star. Everybody's fun. They know what they're doing. Um, and we work really well together. Um, so uh, no jealousy in my business. Um, you know, they're all treated equal. They all, they all put out equal. So um, no prima donnas, as you've seen. Uh, they all do the same amount of work. Uh, they're all out there at 3.30 in the morning. Um, my field crews from the orchards will come to help set up, and the guys are right there with them. And uh, here we are the last day, and they've been going nonstop. Everybody's tired. Exhausted. He's exhausted. And But it's a lot of work. We were talking about it on the ride home today. It's a lot of work. Oh, shoot. I mean, there was 900 decoys out today. Yeah. That's not a normal... That's not a normal put out and pick up kind of spread that's you know 12 dozen 144 decoys in a canada goose hunt's considered a lot yeah. you're hunting lesters you might have 30 dozen out which is a little over 300 decoys 400 decoys but we had 900 out yeah and that's yeah, well, a lot we of had, there was um you know and that's kind of the average that we're doing now um you know and as you see we don't use a lot of socks um we just use those as some filler around you to move around when you're laying on the ground but the there's a lot of decoys. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's your, your mornings start at two thirty. You know, these guys and you know, and they don't. Their 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 day is done. You know, usually around one one thirty. You know, when it's all wrapped up, so they work hard. And um, but again, um, there are you know there are other outfitters out there in the valley. Um, they've kind of you know trained their clients that uh, they're going to shoot from sun up to sundown and as you've been with us since uh for the past few years um you've come out hunting you know when the flight stops we stop um we're not going to sit there all day and sit out there um till the end of shooting time um we pick up um you know some days it's 9 30 a.m and you're not fully limited but the flight has you know for the most part stopped um some days we sit till 10 30 Rarely will you see us ever sit out there past 1030. The, if there are birds that come through later, like when they're tracking back to water, um, we want them to come over the field um, unmolested, unhunted. Um, and that way, you know, we can recharge these fields pretty quickly. And we've learned that. And um, I think a lot of outfitters need to kind of start figuring that out. Um, you know, they want to sit out there for that reverse flight that comes back. Um, that flight should not be hunted. You're talking what, about when they're going from the feed, the, the X, where they went and fed that morning back to the, the loaf, the correct. water for the day. You just don't, they, they need to not be hunted in the afternoon. And um, that will allow you to hold them in the area more. And we've learned that, you know, and that was, I think, one of the big, one of the big factors this year that helped us um, no afternoon. Um, we just don't do it. So... And I don't know if we'll ever do it again. How does how does a group? No, I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to know yeah. this before you go on about the afternoon hunt as opposed to being out of there at ten a.m. They let's say they watch the foul life and they see this awesome goose hunt that we had today. It's yeah. going to be on the foul life, right? I want to go hunt with Rock Merlo and Riley and, and Bailey and the crew. How do they know what they're going to get? Do you explain them like, hey, look, when you come out here, there might be one day of a goose hunt. Yeah. We might have them for one day and then we're going to put you in a pit for ri uh, rice pit for ducks. How, how, do you, how does your clientele work out with, is it complete transparency and you're communicating with them nonstop of like, hey, you guys are going to be coming in here this Thursday. 
you can expect to have one day of the of the specs and the right how how does it work out or is there some groups that get three days of that goose well we've 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 evolved on that um you know in the past you know the past years you know guys would book duck hunts or they would book goose hunts and it got it got difficult because um you know we had this we had this this plan where uh, we were booking all these duck hunts and then if a goose hunt started to develop we would uh, watch it for three or four days we would watch the geese hit the field we would pattern them uh, allow the birds to map on the field and then um, we would call um, the shooters you know up about 48 to 24 hours before the hunt and we'd try to fill the hunt <clears throat> it, it was difficult for a lot of our folks um, to to rally that quickly you know because everybody has this or that it's the holidays um, work, uh, kids, you know, sports, you know, number of things why they couldn't make it. So this past year, um, I decided that um, how we're going to do this is because we're, we have so many different species of waterfowl um, and we shoot a lot of geese out of our, our duck blinds, out of our water blinds, uh, we're going to book waterfowl hunts. And how it's going to work is, is that you're going to get on the books. And then if you are booked for a hunt, uh, if you tell us that your priority is a goose hunt, we'll put a little asterisk by your name. But you're coming to do a waterfowl hunt. It could be if the geese aren't in or um, the hunt's not going to present itself that day due to weather, um, we're going to tell you, you know, hey, ducks are going to be better. The geese will probably come to the water around 10. Uh, Bailey or Riley or, or Zane are, are really good at calling them in, um, you know, over the, the duck decoys. And you're going to go out there. And then it could change that morning. The wind could blow and we didn't forecast it. Um, and we're not going to have a frost. So we'll go back out. We'll go goose hunt. But if you're not here, then you can't do that. And so that's why we you know, did it a little differently this year. And that way we always had full groups here. Um, we weren't scrambling around to try to find shooters the day before. We had a full slate um, and we, you know, from time to time, we had up to 17, 18, you know, shooters here and we were hunting two goose spreads. Um, you know, we were in the water with the goose with floating spread and then we were in the dry. Um, and that's how we, this year why we racked the numbers up that we did because we were streamlined and really efficient with our days um plus there was you know we had a big flight of geese that came in you have a lot of pintail here and they say that the reason that you know you can only kill you could kill a limit of seven pintails here every day if you hunted yeah. them hard but you can't because it's a federal limit that they set forth based on the overall numbers with all the flyways considered. Mm -hmm. Do you think that California is going down that road of damaging the speckle belly population with the numbers that are being harvested in the state with the, with the nut, with the limit limits that are allowed 10 a day, 30 in possession, um, three day, three times your, you know, your daily limit. Is there a chance that, you know, Arkansas is three, Louisiana is two or Texas is two or three, somewhere in there. I don't want people to quote me. Go check your local regulations. But yeah. those are the spec states, Arkansas, Texas, some, you know, Oklahoma gets them. 
In Oklahoma, you can kill eight dark geese, I believe, but I think only two of them can be specs. Again, don't quote me. Yeah. But you can legally kill ten. You know what? I think that I think that specs don't count towards your dark limit in Oklahoma. But here, you can kill 10 dark geese a day, right? Right. So today, when, with us killing two cacklers, those are two, that, those count against your spec limit as well, dark Correct. geese. Are we taking a chance of damaging the overall spec numbers? And do they determine the limit just like they determine it with sprig? Because you should be able to kill more than one sprig a day in California, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You can walk across them in a lot of these rice checks, right? So how, how, how does that work? How is that sprig limit being determined, Rock? And how come you can kill so many more specs per man per day in California than you can in other states that are known for their speckle belly hunting? Well, the, you know, the, the, the adaptive harvest management plan says that, you know, when pintail hit a certain uh, level, uh, 1.7 or 1.8, I can't remember what it is. Um, then when it gets down to that level, it's one. Um, and that's through all flyways. Uh, it's managed you know, pretty tight. And then if it goes up, then we get two or three. We haven't been up for quite some time. Um, the speckle belly numbers, um, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, 80s, you know, far back into then, um, you know, our our spec limit was, you know, we could kill one. And then we went to two. Um, and then we floated there where it was three geese, where it could be a mixture of one dark, two whites, two darks, one white. And then, you know, 2005 hit, and they bumped this up to four. And what happened was, was that the feds came in and worked with, uh, you know, the Canadian government, U.S., and uh, they worked with the, the, the tribes up in um, the upper boreal forest in that area up there. Um, and they got the natives up there to stop harvesting the speck eggs, you know, and they were, you know, harvesting them. Uh, for food source. And when they did that, um, that spec population started to explode. Um, Now, it's just they don't harvest the eggs at all anymore. Um, And the numbers, I think, that we see, uh, they regenerate quite easily up there. So um, they have perfect nesting grounds. Um, They have a lot of brood water up there in that that part of the, the hemisphere. And um, I, I, I'm not so sure we're going to see those numbers drop too fast. Um, the only thing that limits us around here with our specs, um, you know, we're pretty lucky on this side of the valley to have 10. But when you get on the other side of the river, there's the spec close zone around Sac Refuge um, in north uh, in that area over there um, because of the Thule Goose. And so the Thule Goose numbers are really low. So those hunters over there or those clubs in that area in Sac Refuge are only allowed three. <clears throat> so um, they are restricted over there and a shorter season. So um, we're real fortunate here to get 10. Um, I'm not seeing a decline on the specs. Uh, and, you know, it's to say to go out and shoot 10, um, it's difficult for a lot of folks to go do that. I mean, the snows are a little easier this year to get, um, you know, large numbers on, but you know, it's, it takes some work and you saw the calling today, what we, you know, how we are dealing with these late season geese, you know, a lot of, a lot of individuals, um, 
you know, they don't, they don't obtain 10 later in the year because they just want to hear themselves call a lot. And you notice that, you know, you guys shut up a lot. Today. We shut up a lot. We get their attention. And then last 50 yards, it was perfect. They just, it was almost like you guys were in unison. Like, okay, that's it. That's it. Turn the volume down. We all shut all, all three of us just quiet. And you know, there was no standing on it. You know, I don't need to hear, you know, my rendition out there with the clucks or anything like that. Um, and, and the guides know, and sometimes silence is better. And today we did a lot of silence and we finished them. Yeah. And so, and then when you finish the geese, when you're able to finish them, that's when you're able to, you know, get clean kills and get your numbers. Um, and you also watch, we just, you know, we'll let them slide, you know, and we'll let birds come over us at 20 yards and, um, and let them come back around. A lot of people don't do that. Yeah. They take them at that. And they're close. I mean, you can shoot them, but you're going to get five, you know, five or seven. We had two different flocks today where we killed over 20 out of each yeah. flock. That's getting them tight. And we did that most of the year. You know, and it was, and, you know, now the, the, the boys, you know, it's a challenge to have how many bunches they can land. They, 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 and they do. They, we lose some. They go over and they flare. They see something. But we've learned that with a little bit of patience, you know, most of them will slide over you, look like they're going to leave, but then it's just, they come back. But you got to be able to allow that to happen. You know, and, and back in the day, um, back when I was, you know, first started guiding on my own, we had the Canada geese here and there were a lot of them. And um, shoot, we were, you know, we were only allowed two, you know, so that's where I kind of, I feel like I got the patience was letting them go over the top of me because a lot of times you get one opportunity, you know, and if you want to limit your guys out, you have to have them in tight, you know, and we would let them slide at 20 and then come back around and put them in the decoys. And so that's what we're doing now with the specs. And um, it's, uh, it's, it's really changed, you know, the numbers, the number game for us. And, uh, and I think our guys are going away much happier. You know, they're seeing something that they, aren't going to see many other places. And, you know, you got to remember, we don't use electronic collars. You know, like you said, we... Um, no, it's all mouth calling this it's time all, of year. It's all mouth calling or... or, a, or California a doesn't even have that, right? We can't use e-collars and we... we they don't we, even have a spring season. We either, have right? to use our plug. Uh, we have to have a plug in the gun. We can only use three shots. Um, I mean, we have a... We'll have a short goose season here in a balance of the state, mid-February, minutes for five days. We get the fire back up again. But it's not, there's no electronic callers in that, is there? No. There's no extended magazines in that, is there? No. So it has nothing to do with the depredation season in all the other states in mm -mm. spring? We just a normal hunt for us. Let me ask you this real quick, if you've ever thought about this. A lot of those groups today, you know, you were a little worried because of the dome. You call it a dome. For mm -hmm. people that need to know what the dome is, that's the gray sky. It starts to get low on you, creates kind of like a dome effect of like darkness and eeriness and like mm -hmm. it's just not ducky i want sunshine you know we had a few right. breaks in the sky today but they did it like they do it like they did they ate it up today the first group of specs that came in they just like you said you guys got quiet on them and they just kept getting littler and littler tighter and tighter and just bowed up yeah is it something to do with the color we're hunting today as far as the the green because it just seems like when you're watching a live group of snows after the hunt today it's like there's no way you could pick out a mistake in there. Yeah. It's everything's so vibrant that that white's popping off of that green. And it, is that? Do you think that has something to do with the way the geese decoy 
as opposed to being in a brownish or a yellowish rice stubble field, flooded or dry, to where they might not necessarily see the decoys as good, so they're a little bit more hesitant. Does that make sense at all? Um, well, that that might be part of it. Um, I can't, I really can't answer to that. Uh, what I do know is, is that I've managed those fields. Okay, we um, we hunt the edges. Uh, I won't go, you know, you, you saw the, my walk, my ponds down there. So for the, and the guys want to go hunt them, but we won't go near them. You know, we just stay away from them. We hunt up top. We hunt it on the North end of the ranch. Um, you know, and you know, we let it rest for a few days and then we came back in. Um, but again, you saw, we, we shut down at nine 30 today. We, we had 103 geese and, we could have sat there, you know, we were talking about staying till 10 or 1030 and, but it was good. I mean, we ended the season and had a great hunt. Um, but, you know, you notice that, you know, mid season, I saw how heavy we were hammering on these birds and how much pressure we were putting on them. You know, every day we were, we were shooting. And that's when I called, you know, Alan and I said, I need another 600 decoys. I brought all those brand new white ones in, you know, because the, our decoys were getting a little rough and we brought all those new white decoys in. So we started over with some brand new deeks. So that adds to the vibrance and the color. I think right? it added to the vibrant, you know, and I, and I, and it changed our finishing ability. Um, so I, I will, you know, thank them for, I mean, you guys had them on hand, so we were able to get them in here. Um, and then um, I think the calling technique is a lot to do with it. Um, we don't overcall them this time of the year. Um, and two, we were hid pretty well, you know. Um, On a day that was tough to hide. It was high. It was no tough. shadows, and the wind was blowing decoy. I mean, it was tough. And I, it was also cold. You know, it's been pretty mild, and then today it turned off pretty cold. I mean, our windshield I think was probably around thirty-four or thirty-five. It, was it cold, hailed man. on us. You know, had some little sleet. Um, so the birds were hungry. Um, so there was a, a, a number of factors that went into why today was successful. But you um, don't use, I'm not cutting you off, but you don't usually hunt them on green, do you? Until this time of year? You don't use what? You don't usually hunt them on green like that today. That we were, I no. mean, that was bright green grass we were hunting. Right. We'll, we'll transition with them. So that when they leave the rice and they move, like that's their last stop before they go north? Yeah. They hit that grass? Correct. Why? Uh, protein. They're building up their fat content. So the the white the the bright white decoys mixed bouncing off that green, you would agree that it could have something to do with the way they decoy because they didn't check up. They didn't circle. I mean, a couple of them circled, but most of them just were. Whoof. I'm not used to that. Well, I don't think. They, well, you notice that you know there's two different calling techniques. Techniques. I had my Riceman, which is it's. It's excruciating to the ears if you're sitting next to me. I was sitting next to you. It's really loud. Okay. And so, you know, I would, you know, range out there with them and then, you know, get their attention, line them up. And then as they got closer and then I pull off of that call and then Riley and Bailey would work with so their you're, calls. So you keep going back to the calling. You're crediting a lot of the success, not to the, the location. I know the location matters, but you don't think we kill that many geese without the calling? I think we could have shot geese. I'm not so sure we could have finished that many geese without calling. Without the the like you said, uh, we were in we're in sync. 
And, um, you know, we made errors early on, but we've also been at these birds virtually every day. And, um, you know, the boys, you know, they all adapt as the season progresses. And, you know, so adaption is key in, in, you know, when you're younger, you know, and just like I was, you know, and I learn every year, but when I was younger, I'd do the same calling technique every day, you know, and if it didn't work some days, I just think chalk it up to the day, you know, so, but now we've learned that, um, you know, sometimes you just don't want to hear yourself. They don't want to hear you. And, and, and you would think that they wouldn't keep finishing when there's 900 birds there not saying a word, but they do, you know, and, it, and, it's, time. and it's hard to, it's hard to um, do that. It's the last day. You know, you're kind of excited. It's like oh, opening day to some, and um, but we just shut up and let them finish. Is is this something that you discuss with your guides going into it, or yeah. do, have you guys just been team calling so much that when they hear you shut up, then it's time to you know? And I I love team calling ducks, yeah. Canada geese, whatever. But you guys were in perfect unison today. Is it is it a discussion point in, in team meetings during the what well, we don't have, the team meeting is in the field, but you know when I'm with the boys. Um, you know, we'll, we'll be calling and I'll just say enough, 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 you know, and we've done that, you know, and then you do that a few times and then pretty soon, um, they start understanding that it's not calling all the time. And you will notice that we would, you know, we, we, as the birds got closer, if we did keep calling, you know, at times it was, it was like clucks, you know, so that that is a learned technique. In, in how to finish them. Um, and, you know, there, I would consider Riley, Bailey, and Zane, um, I mean, at the, another level above pro now. I mean, they are, they are stellar. In calling. In calling. They are just, they know how to set the spreads. Um, they know how to call. Let's talk about that real quick before yeah. you move on from spread. Everybody's eating up with silhouettes. Okay. I, you don't use them. Mm-mm. Does it take full bodies to finish geese that, that way consistently day in and day out? Uh, yeah. You're not going to do it the other way. Just not going to do it. I mean, we, we've tried it. Um, Why is the marketing and pulling the wool over the consumer's eyes so important to some manufacturers when it doesn't work? It's not the case. I'm not saying you can't kill some, but you're yeah. not going to do it day in and day out with just a silhouette spread. Well, now to add it, maybe add a couple dozen into your full body spread just to get bigger, maybe. But just 100% silhouettes are not going to do that day in and day out. The, I think that we, okay, so you travel all over the U.S. Um, we're here in California. We're a unique state. So a lot of, you know, Nebraska, Arkansas, Missouri, because we don't get the cold that a lot of the other states do. Normally, we're, you know, our mornings are 47 degrees. Unlike the other states you go to, they're 27 or 32. I see a big difference in what the geese will accept the colder it gets. So, you know, if I'm down around 33 or, you know, 28 without a dew and my decoys don't frost over, our hunts are done in an hour and 10 minutes. You can have all the decoys laying on their sides. They're coming. They're so hungry. And, and if you're on their X, I mean, they're, by the time they figure it out, it, it's over. But when it's warmer, 
and what our normal temperatures are, like on an average of a 45, 47 degree morning, um, these birds are real picky. And, and they'll pick you apart. And if it's not perfect looking, they ain't coming. They'll land out there or they'll flare. Um, I mean, you were with us, you know, four years ago, five years ago, when the birds were flaring, you know, at 200 yards away, they just pop up. We didn't have the spread set right. And we were over calling probably. Now we've done things a little differently with our spread set. Um, we've, we've removed a lot of the socks out of the spread. Um, and we purchased more full bodies. And we know how to set them now. I think better than we did, you know, four or five years ago. Um, and our calling is more. There you go again, talking about the calling. Okay. So back to Bailey, Zane, Nolan was out there today. And then Riley is your lead guide. What, what makes them pro level now, as you just alluded to, but how do you, you've been in this game a long time. Your dad was a trailblazer in this area for waterfowl hunting, habitat, conservation, and killing. You have been hunting geese and, and working with hunters a long time through California waterfowl, <laughs> yeah. through women in the outdoors, yeah. through Safari Club International. Um, you've seen it all. You've done it all. You're never, you're never too old and you're never too good to learn is okay. one of your theories. 100%. So what makes Rocky Merlo say that those four names I just said, and I don't know if Nolan's there yet, but Nolan's a heck of a hand. Heck of a hand. Um, what makes Riley and Bailey and, and Zane and these guys, what you call or describe them or define them as pro? Um, well, they're definitely not arrogant. They're, they're humble all the time. Uh, they operate on a consistent level um, where day in, day out, they do the right thing. They adapt with the morning. Um, they will never set the same spread twice. Um, if they do, again, it was because our temperatures were cooler in December, early on, or November. Um, but normally they're, they're, they're looking at the winds. They're looking at the temps. They're, they're, they're thinking back to what the birds did yesterday and trying to think what the birds are going to do today or tomorrow. Um, they, they scout now every day after the hunt in the evening. Um, you know, we're, um, we're learning how to manage the population better by hunting the edges of them and not just blowing straight into the middle of them. We're trying, we're, you know, we're doing everything we can not to run them out of our area. Um, and then they've perfected their calling. I mean, their calling is literally that they're probably not the boys that are going to go on a stage and win the world's bet calling. They don't call like that. They're, they're, Killers. they're hunters. They call to kill geese. They call to kill geese. And, you know, and, and so if somebody went on a space on a stage and didn't blow their call, <laughs> they're going to get a zero and get kicked off that one today, yeah. shutting it down when they came in. Um, that's just, that's just learned skill sets right there. And I, and I think that they, you know, they, they learn and they adapt every year. And, um, and it's like, I've done, it's like, we've continually learned, um, you know, back since 1992, this was my, you know, you know, but I started calling ducks for clients when I was 15 to help, you know, my dad out 
you know, <clears throat> I saved my dad a hundred bucks or 75 bucks if I went out there and called. And so my dad let me out there when I was young with his best clients that he knew really well. And, you know, and it was part of my training. Um, so technically you could say this was my 40th year of doing this, you know, and I, I still enjoy going out there and laying in the field and calling with those boys and doing it day in, day out, uh, the geese. Um, it's just, that's my passion and it's their passion too. Uh, and so when I think when you, when you put it all together and I think that's what makes them a pro. I mean, they got the passion, they got the skill sets. They're, um, they know that they're every day is another day to learn. Um, and they, uh, are real humble. They're not going to sit there and go brag it up at a bar or something like that after the hunt, they're going to go home, they're going to go to bed, and they're going to do it again in the morning. And that's what makes them the best. So I want to talk about Safari Club for a second, but before that, you're in your 40th year of waterfowl hunting. You're ready right now. Like, I know you love fishing. You go to the lake a little bit, but, yeah. like, right now, are you geared to where your mind is – already looking to next season or are you thinking about how to do it better already or are you like thank god it's over for a minute so i can get a little bit of sleep catch up a little bit on my sleep like how, how does your mind work this time of year when you when i mean i know there's a little five-day season coming up for the balance of the state or whatever for late season goose but for the most part this tuesday it's over with ducks today yeah. was the last day of goose season for for california so is your mind ready to go next year already or do you need that shutdown for the rest of the spring and the summer? No, well, you know, that would be nice, but we're going to, um, we're already planning for next year. We're working on our, um, you know, we have to, we got members, you know, we have to con connect with all them, make sure they're coming back, you know, or is our blind going to be available to sell, you know, our seasonal guys. Um, we're trying to get our, you know, our, our guide, the guys that come on the guided hunts, we're trying to get them signed up right now. Um, you know, and so they're not at the last minute and they miss out on their days. Um, we're working our, um, I would say our hunt plan for next year on what fields will be dry, what fields will be flooded. Uh, you know, and, and so it's, there's some more work February that goes into it. And then we kind of, after February is over, it, March on is pretty much we're back into the farm mode and we're into the trees and the rice farming. Um, and then this will all start again on September one next year, you know, dove season. And then it's pretty much a go from then on. Do you, do you welcome the break? Do you like the break or does, when, when, when does your mind say it's go time again? Do you, do you start getting the itch in July, no. August, or are you always thinking about it? No, I'm I'm fishing then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got the flyer out, I would go fishing. Um, we're always thinking about it, but um, we allow ourselves to have the break. I mean, you, you have to have the break. And, uh, you know, um, it, we're going to be intense. We're going to be 105 days of waterfowling that starts at three in the morning 
and goes till 5.30 in the afternoon. So we have to take a break. We have to clean our mind. You know, and, and they will, especially, the guys will. They'll go about, they'll get turkey hunting. You know, you guys have come up turkey hunting. and So we'll hunt turkeys for a month. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll then start chasing the stripers. And, uh, and then we'll go into the trout. And then, uh, then the birds come back again and the deer, you know. So I, I think that we're hunting year-round, whether it be, you know, birds, fish, or big game. That's the beautiful thing about California. We can do it all right here in Northern Cal. And so we're always chasing something. Do you, does it, as far as like the, the philanthropist part of you, which you are huge into philanthropy, you do a lot of support with, you know, charities and youth programs and high school programs. Um, what did it mean to have Laird Hamberlin here with us? on this trip as far as safari club international goes president and ceo um their motto is first for hunters yeah. you've been the chairman of the board for california waterfowl association you've been on the board of directors for cwa you've been you got us involved with cwa working with john and scott and henley and the crew there you continue to work with cwa and your congressmen and your senators and Lamalfa and like you're constantly working so now all of a sudden you know safari club is is headquartered in washington dc our nation's capital they work all over the world they have fifty-five thousand members of all over the world which being a member of safari club is huge what does it mean for you to see it just it's, it's like it just keeps growing and growing and it's like is there a slowdown there you see laird come in here and he gets excited you guys have a bromance together yeah. and you're doing your thing um what does that mean to you internally to see it just keep growing like that you have cwa and now you're you're collaborating with Safari Club, and you guys got plans for the future. How does that? How do you internalize it? It's um, well, I think that it's um, it's individuals coming together that both have the same focus, and it's you know securing our hunting heritage for the next generation. I know we hear lines like that a lot, um, you know, um, but. What we've seen here in California, um, you know, so many times we take um, that for granted that somebody else is going to um, take care of that line for us. Um, in California, we're 54,000 waterfowlers strong. Um, at present, there's only 18 or 20,000 waterfowlers that are a member of CWA. Um, you know, COVID kind of knocked our numbers down. But you know, but even before COVID hit, there was only like 22,000 of the waterfowlers were um, part of Cal Waterfowl. But what are those other 30,000 doing? You know, um, you know, and I think that's what SCI sees um, and our other friends there at Hunter Nation. Um, it's just not California that has that, that disparity between the, the, those that are participating in conservation and protecting the hunting heritage and those are just hunting okay um i was shocked when i was at you know ted nugent's house you know for that meeting and i got to see the stats for texas and georgia and um illinois and, and missouri it's basically 50 percent of hunters in all these other states 
aren't part of some conservation organization, you know? And so, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it was an eye opener to me. So I think that with like what SCI is doing, and if we can all get together, you know, you got the NRA, you got the, you know, you got SCI, um, and, uh, Cal Waterfowl, DU, um, you know, these hunting organizations, you know, we have to figure out a way to get to these other hunters so their voice is heard automatically. Because the other side, um, they have their, you know, their, 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 their people on the iPhone. And so when they want to oppose some bill that's positive, you know, on our side, they can automatically send it out to their base and they can have virtually 100% of their base respond to an assemblyman or a congressman or a senator quickly where we're sitting there and we're too busy hunting or working or doing something else or we're just not engaged. And so I think that, you know, trying to figure out a way with Laird and others is how to engage um, more of our base into what we're all trying to do here to fight for their right um, every week. Uh, I think that's really important. And that's where, you know, I'm kind of, you know, trying to figure out my path is what's the best way to bring more hunters in the state into the fold of conservation and the fight for their hunting heritage. Um, right now we have these um, signups, you know, on these, um, you know, like what Henley's doing for the Capitol when uh, we want to oppose a bill. Um, you know, a, a blanket email goes out to all of us and we can, you know, press a couple buttons and send our response to LaMoffa or Gallagher, another assemblyman or congressman. Um, but, you know, that number needs to grow to 100% in order for us to win in the state. Because right now, when 12,000 people oppose something, that's, you know, the other side looks at that and just kind of chuckles. Just yeah, just laughs at all. They laugh it off. There's a super majority here, but you know, but if you look at what CWA and SCI and gun owners of California and NRA have done in the past couple of years, joining together, and when a bill comes that's going to be against us, uh, against our hunting heritage, um, these groups working together has made tremendous amount of headway in blocking some of these bills or at least changing the language where we can work with it. Um, four or five years ago, we didn't have that. We're all operating in separate, you know, separate worlds and nothing was really happening and these bills would get passed. But now it's a front. We got SDI's group and or Cal Waterfowl's group, NRA's group, and, you know, gun owners of Cal California's base. We pull them all together, and we're getting a louder voice now. So it's working, and that's how I got because I see it. Do you think most hunters just think that ah, somebody else is going to do it? They do. Going to get involved? That's what I said earlier. They just they sit back and they're either hunting or they're working, and they just feel that you know Merlot or you know Henley or one of these other guys is going to you know carry the torch. And in like what we learned at that hunter nation meeting, you know, when I was back there and with those guys um you know a lot of times 
these guys are just in there, or these women are just, everyone's in their deer stand hunting, and it's the day to vote, and they're not voting, you know, because they'd rather go hunting. Well, their vote's really important, you know, and so, you know, it, it we have to get every hunter engaged, and, you know, and, and, a, and a hunter needs their spouse engaged if they're married, um, or their teen kids involved that can vote. Um, we all have to talk as a family. And, um, you know, on the day that, you know, that there's a vote or there's an election, we all have to go to the polls. We have to let our voice be heard. Pretty sad nowadays that only half vote, you know, hunters. You know, and it's, um, I don't know. Got, there's more outreach that's needed. I agree 100%. I think that the model, though, you know, California gets a bad rap as a whole mm -hmm. because of the politics, but the model for hunters' rights and shooters' rights is right here in California. Like, you have a lot of what you just described as, you know, frontline organizations working together We've to, make that, a lot. to make that voice bigger oh, yeah. and louder, more reachable. I think that people kind of just think of it like, well, we, it's been here forever. I guess it's kind of like the Band-Aid deal, you know? Like, you keep cutting something enough and putting enough Band-Aids on something, you know, you die of a thousand cuts. Like, you know, they if they get one little one, they can get another one. And they, the more they get, the more momentum they get, the more confidence they get to try to take it down. And if you have a voice, you know, Henley in the Capitol here, and you got Laird and Ben Cassidy and the SCI group working in the nation's Capitol, you combine those now you got a bigger reach and you have more communication and transparency going on of really it's opened my eyes a ton in the last eight seven eight years nine years working with you of like more needs to be done not just you know protecting our rights but and and but also being you know the mentorship programs and getting more people involved in the outdoors because you go into i was in new york in october and it's like they don't even know that there's trees in new york right all they see is concrete well, they would never believe you that you could catch a fish or kill a goose or a deer in the state of New York. It's rock. It's it's relationship building. We have to do a better job at that as conservation organizations in every state. I mean, you looked at you were part of last year, um, not this season, but the season prior, when I when you know I partnered up with Marshall Stark from Rocky Mountain Elk, and we had that veteran hunt, you know, and you know we brought out fifteen veterans from in different parts of the U.S and uh mainly the western states and uh we brought them here to california for a three-day hunt with us okay and cwa co-branded that with rocky mountain elk these co-branded type of deals this was unheard of five seven years ago organizations wanted to stay separate you know and it was yeah they would sign letters together would they actually you know do a fundraiser together. No, because they wanted to make all the money yeah, for their own group. Exactly. And and that's where kind of like when I came to CWA, I, I kind of, you know, you know, pushed, you know, our team to, you know, expand ourselves into um, partnering with more groups. And, you know, Scott and John, and they've all done that. You know, we're doing it really well now. And, you know, and having SCI come out here and the president and the CEO of, SCI Laird coming out here and, and meeting with 50 of my top donors 
um, you know, that was huge. You know, that was a lot for him to get out of his way to come out here and show that SCI cares about California. And, and I think they get it. I mean, I, and, and I need more of these organizations to see that they need to put a little bit more input into California because if they don't, and if we fall here, um, you know, if we keep getting chipped away at, um, it's not going to be good. You look at what happens in Nevada and Oregon, just the states that are near California, and we just bleed into them, you know, our politics. It's always negative. It's, 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 Everything is just always against what's right. Mm-hmm. And you got to have somebody like yourself and Laird working together, Henley, CWA, to, yeah. to stop it. It can be stopped. I mean, it's, I don't know how many times a bill has been stopped. Whether it was the you know the bears, the trophies coming in from Africa, twenty five seventy one, the one about advertising with the kids. Yeah, the kids. You oh know? my god, the youth hunts and the golf. <laughs> that one there was an eye opener for I think a lot of people, and um, that they're willing to go to any extent to mess mm-hmm. up your heritage. They were literally going to outlaw youth hunts. They stopped them for a second. They stopped this. Can we can a father, we, son, or an aunt or uncle could not take a, a kid. We couldn't advertise it, and that was eventually going to stop it. They, 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 they found a way to um, cut our legs off, where we couldn't advertise to kids anymore about our hunt program. When guns were involved, yep, because and, guns are involved, because of school shootings and mass shootings, exactly. They went after the hunter, and and where we're teaching kids safe use of weapons. Okay, and in our camps and so forth, and so you know, when but we all banded together, and uh, lawsuits were filed, and um, we ended up getting with the governor's team, and um, we got a new bill proposed, and the governor signed it, so we got it overturned, and so we it worked. We worked together. We educated our um, lawmakers in California, and. and bipartisan came together and got a bill that benefited the kids in youth hunting and youth shooting sports. And we were able to overturn 2571, which was a huge win for, you know, hunting heritage, conservation, and for our kids. And, you know, um, they're not going to stop. You know, there's always going to be those few, you know, you know, on the Democrat side that, you know, are, are just want it all to go away. But there are good, there are good individuals that, you know, are Democrat that hunt, you know, and they don't like to see that stuff either. Mm-hmm. They just want sensible gun laws. I think we all do. Um, but that's where we have to work together. And that's what I think that we're doing now. Well, bringing all these organizations together and bringing those with common sense on both sides together um we can fix a lot of these issues like we did here in california this past year so i have hope now i think the more that we come together and the more that we get our base you know talking um i i think the other side will listen to us you know more and we're just not going to be an easy pushover um like they thought we would so things are working and um, I have hope now. So, and I and I look at all the kids that we're bringing into the sport, teaching them how to 
you know, speak up. Um, that's take them hunt, take them young. It's important. Take the neighbor kid. They have to. Have to take the girls. They have to take them all. They all have to be brought into the sport. You know, I, I some of like I I always go back. It's like this little girl, Alyssa Messina, that's uh, Joey's friend, my 15-year-old. Um, she, Alyssa, you know, she's on the Durham High shooting team now. Took her out duck hunting this year and goose hunting for her first time. Her, she wanted a gun for Christmas. I mean, this girl, you would have never thought three years ago, would be a hunter. And she absolutely loves it. And it's, it's a win. You know, I feel, you know, really fulfilled this year when in watching her light up hunting. You know, she follows both of us and and she's a heck of a trap shooter. You know, she keeps right up with the rest of them. So, you know, so we are making some headway. My trap team in Durham, you know, we have 46 kids this year that signed up for it. Wow. At the high school trap team. You know, we started off with 18. And then we went to 23. COVID shut us down. Now we're at 46. So pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the confidence it brings, the firearm, you know, learning how to shoot is a huge thing. People that say, I would never shoot a gun. You get them shooting one time, it's, they can't put it down. Right. So to, you know, to there's, there's different ways to back people into hunting than just saying, you know, we're going to go kill an animal. You know, it might be a recipe, like yeah. what we're getting ready to do with the Particelli family with these specs and, sprig it might be a wild game feed it might be sporting clays um getting new people involved is huge it's important um and i and i think that that is going to be your legacy you know your dad's legacy your legacy in the merlot team is you got joey and rico coming up and rico's playing college baseball and joey's 16 he's got two years of high school left but the legacy of this business as you look at your you know your brands on the wall the one on the top right there is merlot waterfowl company right well it goes along with all of these the sustainability of the farming the almond holing the ag investors the american almond bee, everything is sustainability it all yeah. goes together and i think that if people take the time to look into that word sustainability and how all of this benefits conservation agriculture cattle wildlife water yeah. you know everything is it's it's so interesting and so mind-blowing that if you take the time to get into it you can really go and talk to somebody and it might be a girl or a boy that's in 4-h or ffa right that you could say hey have you ever thought about like going out and, and seeing the wildlife that your daddy's farm that yeah. you're raising this pigs or these chicken or this steer on and and how it gives back to wildlife and here's what cwa is doing with their you know, with their egg salvage program or with this program in conservation and, and the easement for whatever it is, right. everything is working together in that model to where you can't find anything wrong with it. I'm not saying it's perfect, no. but I'm saying for an anti or for somebody that's against it to look at it and go, that's wrong. They just, there's no way yeah. it's so right. It's so legitimate and right that you can't argue it, that what you're doing, your legacy is going to be Rocky, in my opinion, um, besides the conservation, the philanthropy is going to be your ability to get new blood into the lifeline of this heritage, whether it's shooting or hunting. Yeah. And I think that that's what you're 
that you were put on earth to do was like, you know, whether it was Larry that got you into that mindset or if it was yourself, a lot of young men and women are following your footstep because of the way that you build, well, it was, it's, build, it's the, more build the lifestyle. It, I mean, that's so nice. I mean, you see that. But it was like if we, if if I was to be, you know, 100% transparent, it was, it was Harry Boyle bringing me on to CWA, okay? Trying to pull me out of, because I was big with DU back then, pulling me out of DU and going, hey, I want you to work with CWA. I want you to take over my dinner. It's a great organization. Um, DU is important, um, but this is for California. And they're going to need someone like you. And I was young. Dude, I was 24 years old. Okay. And, uh, and so here I am today working with both organizations, working with Rocky Mountain Elk, working with Cal Deer. Um, SCI. You know, working, well, no, working with SCI, working with the guys at Hunter Nation. Um, you know, it, it's like they all have their, their, their purpose and they're all trying to do the same thing. And now we just, all have to come together as one unit um, to protect our heritage. And I think that's starting to happen. And um, we're communicating more with each other. And um, we're sharing ideas. Uh, your show, I think, you know, you know, what you've done, Chad, you know, helping bring all this together and being a mouthpiece for all of us where we can you know, broadcast this across the U.S. Um, into a lot of households. Um, it gets people thinking, you know, that, and that's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're taking these, you know, conversations that you have, like what you and I are having um, and others, and, you know, people are listening. And, you know, hopefully you, you like, I'll connect with a couple of people with what I've said today, uh, you know, anything that I've said. Um, maybe some young kids will want to get into working with CWA or DU or Rocky Mountain Elk or SCI. Um, you know, we just don't ever know uh, who will touch, but you're not going to know unless you talk about it. Yeah. And that's what we're here today to do. And you got it in the end. You think it's, 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 I don't know if exhausting's the word, but when I watched your guys today and at the end of that hunt, when we were all driving out of that field, we haven't stopped since then. No, we have I, I, want, I, I don't want people to think that I'm like looking for a badge because I don't care about awards. Yeah. But you literally, we literally were up at three o'clock today. Yep. We set 900 decoys, yep. had a hunt. Not only did we break down the spread, we went and set up a picture of, of what we call the, you know, the end of the season bang. And we, right. we want a nice picture to hang on the wall, whether it's canvas or however we're going to do it. And then it was, Nonstop from there, we cooked a wild game breakfast with Speckle Belly. We we got got the entire lodge cleaned up and the the shop cleaned up for a dinner that we're going to talk about to end this podcast here in a second. We did this podcast today. We did a photo shoot. We cleaned geese. We took a bunch of geese that we're going to do with taxidermy, and we got tags on them and and showed some people how to fill out tags and how it's important to to make sure with transportation and everything, the laws and the regulations, which is a huge part of the uh, intimidation factor of getting into waterfowl hunting because there's so much to abide by here. You know, Rocky, I just saw you yawn again. This is an exhausting lifestyle. You have... If you're going to get into it, you have to be prepared to to work tired. You know what I mean? Like you have to understand that 
you cannot stop because what you just said, somebody might go, wow, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. If we didn't take the time to do this podcast today, we very easily could have said, you know what? I'm not a football guy, but, and I know you're not either. I don't think you are, but the no. playoffs are on. Right. There's a lot of people 20 feet from us, 45 feet from us watching football. We didn't have to do this podcast. We could have easily, nobody in the world would have known. Oh, Chad and Rocky had an opportunity to do a podcast and they didn't know. Nobody would know. But we did it because we care. Right. You want to get that message out there. It's not that we're that we're looking for somebody to send us money. We're looking for somebody to go, you know what? I'm going to go bring my nephew on the youth hunt. I'm going to get somebody new involved this year. Right. Oh, I might go sign up for CWA. It doesn't matter where you live. I don't care if you live in Arkansas or Florida or New York. I hunted hunt in all these states. Become a member of CWA. Whether it's $35 a year or a life membership, support them because what happens in California spreads eastward. Right. It touches everywhere. So I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing that we have a voice and a platform. And we have people, you know, whether it's Hunter Nation with Keith and Ted Nugent. I love Ted Nugent. I, yeah. Ted Nugent's a great voice. Or, you know, we just left camp with Donald Trump Jr., another great voice. What he's doing with his new podcast, Triggered, and Filled Ethos. Michael Waddell. I'm doing a big thing with him with a new company called Camo Space, owned by Danny Reed. Michael Waddell is a huge voice. Does, right. He's a deer hunter and a turkey hunter, big game hunter, but he believes in all hunting. And his biggest thing is, is that quit the infighting. Quit the jealousy. Quit, yeah. the, quit beating up on the people that are doing the same thing you're doing. If Rocky's getting them here, learn from Rocky. He just told you that he bought brand new white decoys. He hunts over full bodies. He manages his water. He manages his hunt pressure. Learn. He's not afraid to teach. So the infighting needs to stop. Like you hunt with a crossbow while you're, you know, well, you hunt with TSS or you're shooting a turkey with a 410 or you're doing like, we're, we're, we're always judging all of our counterparts that we need to be teamed up with. We all have to, we don't have to agree with how, I mean, I, I don't want to fan a turkey. I want to call a turkey and I don't want to belly crawl a turkey and fan it or reap it. I don't, if it's legal and it's ethical, then do it. So you're going to take back your criticism of you wanting to shoot specs next year with 28 gauge Benelli? I believe that, I believe that, that there are certain creatures out there that are, are meant to be shot with a 12 gauge. <laughs> and a turkey's one of them and a goose is one of them. Now, speckle belly is not the same as a big 12 pound honker, but. I mean, if you want to do it with the 28 gauge because the sub gauge revolution, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a 12 gauge guy. Yeah. Always will be. I always will be, but I still believe in getting them tight. I believe in calling. That 28 gauge would have done just fine today right there. I'm not saying it wouldn't have. Yeah, they were good. That was tight. I was shooting a 20 this morning, you know? So, so. but anyway, like that, the, the, the whole infighting deal, like Michael Waddell talks about, we got to stop. Yeah. If you're a hunter, believe in the other hunters. You know what Michael Waddell says? He says, send me your stories. You know what I mean? Like post, send us your stories. Mm -hmm. Contact Rocky on Instagram. Say, man, we got the specs today because we listened to this deal and you you were a mentor to us or something. Work together. Rocky will post your picture. Even if he didn't guide you. You know, like don't hate on people that are fighting for what you believe in. Like the infighting needs to stop. And I truly, Michael Waddell's my mentor or that my inspiration to do what i do he always has been so there's a lot of good people that are working within the realms of this industry that we we do have a big voice we do have a big reach but we need to hone it hone it in and say you have to get involved straight up you have to be involved you have to have a voice you can't just sit idle you truly can't you can't assume that it's going to get done by somebody else right and i think that that's what you've done is that it's not going to get done 
by somebody else, you're doing it. So to end this, we're getting ready to partake in an Italian feast tonight. You're an Italiano, mm-hmm. last name Merlo. Um, the Particelli family, Ray Ray, the dad, and Stefano, the son, are cooking us a bunch of Italian gnocchi. They're doing gnocchi with a special wild game sauce. They're doing speckle belly. They're doing sprig. They're doing tripe, which is the stomach lining of a steer or a cow. They're doing some uh, anchovies, special anchovy that they love to do. It's unbelievable. This dinner is going to be amazing. But here, I want you to end it by this. These relationships are built through the outdoors. Right. The only reason that we're going to have this dinner tonight is because of a duck. Yeah. That's how we met the Particellis. Yeah. My brother put an order in. Stefano is a fan of the show. He saw our last name. He's like, hey, anything, you know, let's talk sometime. We talk. Now we have a lifelong friendship. We've been to their house. We've been to their grandma's house. Um, we've been to their store in Napa. Like, what does that mean to you that this is getting ready to take place at your property yeah. in your lodge? We're, we're getting ready to, to throw down with friends. And there's going to be a lot of other people coming in here. Your guides are coming. Our partner in American Almond Beef, Brandon Burns, coming to this. Uh, Corning Ford, Paul and Francis are coming to this. Like, it's really cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's all, you know, waterfowling. And, you know, it's the end of the year. Um, a lot of folks would say, oh, it's the end of the year party. But we have these throughout the year. You all know? year. And, and it's... It, that's how I was raised, you know, my mom and dad, you know, they had these big dinners, you know, throughout the season. Um, and it does, it, it, it wears us down, but it, but at the same time, when one is talked about, you don't want to let it go because what's going to happen tonight is memorable and it's exciting. It bonds friendships together. And, um, you know, the, the the this family the Particellis you know it's like we hunt together now I'm only known them for a couple of years and it's like I've known them forever forever huh yeah and it's like, and it's like I I've never even met them before or knew they had the store in in Saint Helena and um, you know and you know I go to Saint Helena um, and they're they're gonna set me up you know and so tonight we bring them here we'll set them up here and they have they. <clears throat> they lease a duck blind from you. Yeah. They're diehard waterfowl hunters. Die They're diehard fishermen. Great hunters. I've I eaten mean, rabbit with them. I've eaten yeah. tongue with them. I've eaten. The, the, I had deer. I had. I had de- the, not. I mean, people eat gizzards and they'll eat lungs. Right. Hey, <laughs> yeah. I mean liver. We had deer lungs. Right. Have you ever eaten lung? Um, I have not. These guys eat everything. So I, I lied to you. The part of Chelly's I can't wait for this dinner. But let's talk about Andy Stone. Yeah one of your good friends and farming families and his father. Mm-hmm. We're going to dedicate this episode. We're going to dedicate part of season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life that'll air July through December of 2023 exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. Um, talk about Andy's dad, what he meant to this community, farming, conservation, attitude, personality, perseverance, um, family. This man was a family man. His kids, grandkids, wife, community leader. Um, you are a very in- integral, intricate part of this community. Let's end it by talking about this man. Um, we saw Andy yesterday and we were at lunch. It's a son of a bitch to lose your dad. We both have gone through it. Um, and it, w- it was quick for him. Yeah. It sucks. But what did he mean to you? Who was he to the community? And how can we send him off in the right way with uh, this dinner tonight and a prayer for him and his family? No, you know, 
Gary was a good guy, good friend. Um, you know, I just, I, I've been hunting with him. Boy, oh man, almost 20 years now, you know, and I, uh, he, I rented their ranches from him over there at the Graco. Uh, you know, Andy, you know, works with us. You know, he, we're, we're, you know, he guides with us, hunt together, geese. And, um, I've been to all, <laughs> I've been to all four of their weddings, the kids' weddings, Gary's son, daughter's wedding. Uh, you know, they, it's just, they were, they're a great family. And, and, and Gary was a integral part of that. He, Gary loved the family. I mean, he was a hundred percent about family, his boys, his daughter. Um, he left us way too young, just started having grandkids. And, uh, you know, he was a pillar in the rice community, was on many boards, um, defending farming, the water rights for the rice farmer. Uh, he loved duck hunting. Duck hunted, you know, all the way back when he was young. You know, at his funeral, there was, shoot, there was a thousand people there. Uh, it was so, I mean, the tribute to him was hard none. I mean, extremely well-deserving. Uh, and uh, he's missed. I, I was just, I, I feel that, you know, I got my time with him at the end. Um, got to hunt with him on Thanksgiving Day. That morning, you know, with him and the boys and his son-in-law and the grandkids, uh, we did a goose hunt on a mutual friend's ranch. And, uh, you know, it just, but it's surreal to have him gone now and to see Andy, um, you know, and I know what Andy feels. Um, you know, I know that, you know, that loss that... We feel when we lose someone that close to us as a parent, uh, it's a hard, it's really hard. And it's hard for me to, you know, to see Andy go through this right now and his brother and his sister, and especially his mom, Susan, um, you know, what she's going through there at the house at night. So um, it's nice that you're doing this, Chad. Um, you know, Gary was honorable, honest, hardworking, uh, loved everyone in his life. Uh, just sucks that he's gone in the way he went. And he didn't want to go. Gary Stone, rest in peace. That's been another episode of the Foul Life Podcast. Our guest, the one and only Rock Merlot. Andy, the Stone family, we're here for you. Reach out. That's what the hunting community does. We lean on each other. It's the best culture there is. It's the best community there is. We're honored to be part of Rocky's family down here. The hunt was amazing today. Part of Chelly's. Let's go eat some Italian food. Thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Brand new episodes of Benelli's The Foul Life available right now exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. And get ready for season 15. Can you believe it? Season 15 of Benelli's The Foul Life. You're going to see episodes filmed right here with Merlot Waterfowl, Merlot Farming Group, Chase and Specs, Sprig, Widgeon. Laird Hamberlin, President and CEO of Safari Club International, Francis Hopping, 
Paul, everybody at Corning Ford. Thank you all so much for listening to the podcast. We'll be back at you with another episode. We're going to let you know how this meal goes tonight. In the meantime, I got two words for you. Bon appetit. Never quit, yeah. It's just a